Welcome to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome into Soccer Morning here on Backheel.com. We are live, as always. We are back on YouTube. I am thrilled to have my visage back on the world's most watched video site. There there aren't that many of you who watch via YouTube, but those of you who do, thank you very much. You get to see me. You see my lovely backdrop. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Trevor making fun of me already in the comments. It, It tells you that it's a Friday. We're already getting started here on a Friday. Big show for you today. Our friend Charles Bohm from MLSsoccer.com, SoccerWire.com, USsoccerplayers.com will join us in about 10 minutes. We're going to go over, we might preview USA Panama, but there are some other MLS issues that deserve some discussion as well, including Charlie's report that he's spoken to people who say a deal is very far off in the CBA negotiations and the MLS players have been told to be, pre- to be prepared to strike. And we'll see how that goes. Uh, with Charlie at the bottom of the hour, 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, Adam Jardy from the Columbus Dispatch will join us. We'll talk about the Columbus crew offseason. And as they prepare for the season to start in 30 days, presuming it does start in 30 days, exactly how do the crew manage to keep up with their Eastern Conference rivals? Now, the crew was a very good team in 2014, made the playoffs, uh, did some nice things, ultimately fell to the New England Revolution in the playoffs. Can they get back to that level and perhaps exceed that level in 2015? All right, let's uh, let's do the headlines. Let's get you started on your Friday morning as you look ahead to the weekend. A bunch of games coming up this weekend, but in, in games that have already happened, Ghana beat Equatorial Guinea 3-0 yesterday in the African Cup of Nations semifinals to advance to the final match against uh, Ivory Coast. That tournament is in Equatorial Guinea. Remember, Equatorial Guinea hosting the tournament because Morocco pulled out over fears of Ebola spreading. Equatorial Guinea had been eliminated from the tournament once uh, already, got back in because of them being the new hosts, made it all the way to this stage, the semifinals, did it with a little bit of controversy in that win over Tunisia, and some controversy last night as well, or yesterday for us here uh, in the uh, American time zones. Some crowd trouble at this match. The fans of Equatorial Guinea, obviously none too pleased with some of the decisions that were going against their side. Losing 3 nothing in that game. Started throwing things on the field. Starting throwing things at the Ghanaian fans, at the Ghanaian players. And ultimately, police had to escort Ghanaian fans out of the stadium in order to maintain order. There were reports all over Twitter from people on the scene, the uh, Equatorial Guinea fans were waiting for Ghanaian fans to uh, to rumble, I suppose. I mean, this is ugly, ugly stuff. I saw this morning Equatorial Guinea hit with a 65,000-pound fine. That's it. I mean, I, I don't know how much they have. I'm guessing they don't have a lot of money in that federation, but 65,000 pounds doesn't sound like a whole lot. There's also, also other sanctions that couldn't come down from uh, as a result of this tournament. I mentioned that game against Tunisia that Equatorial Guinea won to the Tunisians, having accosted the referee, being very upset, having uh, declared that the tournament was corrupt, were required to issue a retraction or face sanctions from the CAF. They have, uh, I, I don't know where that stands. We'll get a check on that. So this is a very, it's been a very tumultuous tournament. You would, you would imagine so, considering uh, that uh, the, the tournament had to be moved out of Morocco in light of those Ebola fears uh, to Equatorial Guinea. In France, Zlatan Ibrahimovic has declared that his PSG teammates will not speak to the press. This happened after a one nothing win over Lille in Ligue 1. 
There are pictures of uh, Zatan walking his teammates uh, through the mix zone after the match, saying, do not speak to the press, do not talk, follow me, nobody talk, declaring himself the boss. Now, this is fantastic stuff for me. I love when Zlatan is Zlatan. Now, it's bad for the press, and ultimately it's bad behavior on the part of Ibrahimovic. But I come on. It, it's just fun to see him pull one of these things. And producer Trevor before the show said, I can't wait for him to come to MLS. Please, Zlatan, come to MLS. Think about MLS. Think about the way that we cover MLS. Think about Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Imagine Zlatan Ibrahimovic in an open locker room. Anybody? Can anybody imagine what that might be like? Zlatan gets out of the shower. He hits his locker. He's getting dressed, slowly putting on his uh, $3,000 suit and, uh, at a, and the press corps. <laughs> they, they bum rush Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Can you even picture that? I, I want this to happen so badly just to see him stare down. Uh, a couple of reporters watch them shrink like violets. Not that I want uh, some of the guys I know who do a very good job covering this sport in, in a country where we need as much coverage as possible to be stared down and hun- and uh, ashamed by uh, or shamed by Zlatan Ibrahimovic. But it would be fun to watch. Uh, we also have a big weekend of matches coming up, as I mentioned. At the top of the show, you've got Ronaldo returning for the Madrid derby between Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid. Big match there. Those two teams separated by seven points in the standing standings. Real on top, Atleti in third. It, uh, it could be a big match for Atletico Madrid, provided they can beat a Real, who, was, who will miss James Rodriguez. We mentioned his injury yesterday. Uh, Ronaldo coming back as a boost uh, to um, to Real Madrid in light of, of that situation. And speaking of injuries, I- I'm not sure what the situation is with Alexis Sanchez. Is he going to play? Is he not going to play? I've seen different reports in two different places, basically using the same quotes from Marcin Wenger, uh, characterizing it as, as, as he might play or he won't play. Arsen Wenger seems to think it's unlikely that Alexis Sanchez will play in the North London Derby against Spurs this weekend. Meanwhile... Alexis Sanchez says he wants to play. We'll see if he's managed to convince Arsene Wenger he's ready to at least make the squad, the 18-man squad, for that game. He would normally start, obviously. I don't think he's quite there yet, but we'll see. He's carrying a hamstring injury. You also have the Merseyside Derby. This is an interesting match, if only because the fortunes of the two teams in 2014-2015, very different than they were last season. Roberto Martinez squeezed a lot out of Everton in, in the last campaign. Liverpool obviously came in second. Both teams have taken big steps back, although Liverpool is on good form at the moment. Meanwhile, Roberto Martinez probably just wants to get three points out of any match. It'll be difficult to do so uh, against their uh, against their intertown rivals. The Cameroon FA, this is very interesting, and maybe we'll bring this up with Charlie Bowman in a couple minutes. The Cameroon FA has declared null and void the contract of Ambrose Oyango, the young fullback, traded to the Montreal Impact from the New York Red Bulls. This it seems to stem from the fact that he was traded without his approval and the uh, dislike of some parties in Cameroon and perhaps his agent as well with the way that MLS operates. Now, I don't know the nitty-gritty here. I do know that the technicality seems to be based on the fact that Ambrose Ayanga was, was an amateur player when he was loaned to the Red Bulls. At least that's what the Cameroonian FA is, is uh, saying. So we need to dig into this. My, you know, I don't know it'll get to that point, but I'd be interested to know how MLS addresses uh, Montreal's situation should Oyango not play for them in light of the fact that the Red Bulls got the top allocation spot, which they used to sign Sasha Kleschen and Felipe Martins out of this deal. It'd be very interesting. 
Big weekend in international soccer for the United States. Both the men and the women play on Sunday. The U.S. women will be in France, which is a challenging match. We discussed this uh, a couple weeks ago with Jeff Kasouf on this show. No easy task. Obviously, Hope Solo is suspended. There's going to be a lot of focus on the goalkeeper position for the U.S. women. And the U.S. men hosting Panama at the, at the StubHub Center in Carson. We have the fallout from Jurgen Klinsmann's fitness comments. How will he use his team in this game? Will he throw out that 3-5-2 again? Lots of things to consider. So let's do. Let's use that as a nice bridge to Charlie Bohm. We'll talk about USA Panama. We'll talk about some of these MLS governance issues. Fascinating week to talk to Charlie. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning. Backheel.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go. Let's talk some American soccer with our friend Charles Bohm from MLSsoccer.com and SoccerWire.com and USsoccerplayers.com. Charlie, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Jason. Doing well on a Friday morning. Are you staying warm? Because I'm cold. It's it's really unpleasant. It's I, I, again, again for the millionth time, I don't know how you Canadians do it out there. <laughs> I have so much respect for y'all. This like normal ten degrees, fifteen degrees, normal for those folks. You know, Buffalo, Minnesota. Yeah, I have huge respect for you guys. I can't do it. I, I'm 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 on the verge of of uh, suicidal thoughts here. Yeah, but it, I'm hanging in. It, it's it's a so little it's over co- soon. It's a little cold. We stay indoors uh, at this time of year. Uh, but we are preparing for for an MLS season. I'm going to get to some MLS topics in a minute, Charlie, specifically about a tweet you had the other day. But USA Panama on the weekend, and I would be remiss if I didn't preview that a little bit, even though if even though I'm sort of over this game as providing anything real for us, especially in light of the comments that Jurgen Klinsmann made this week about, about player fitness. How are you viewing what the U.S. needs to do against Panama on Sunday? Look, they beat Panama all the time. I think the one victory Panama had was in a Gold Cup uh, 2000, I want to say 2013, uh, or 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 2011. 2011. Yeah. yeah. I have to go back to 2011 under Bob Bradley. So what do they need to do in this game? Well, nothing fixes your problems like winning, right? I mean, that's, that, that's the easiest thing to do here is, is play well, um, you know, blow, blow the Panamanians uh, off the field with quality play and with, with some goals and, and maybe post a clean sheet. That's the simple way to do things. Um, that said, I, I think there's uh, there's other ways to go about it. I think a lot of fans at this point are aware that it's an experimental period. They're aware that we're trying out new formations here. We're trying out new players and new combinations. Um, but but show something. Show some quality. You know, things things look decent for a little while there in that Chile match last week. Um, but then that that late fade, uh, which is a, a trend that far predates. The, Whole fitness gate or fitness gazi or whatever we want to call it, right? Oh I mean, no! This, this oh no! Team been, <laughs> this team has been fading down the stretch for seven months, eight months. Yeah. Maybe you could even peg it back further to the World Cup. Um, you know, I, what I'm looking for on Sunday is um, some coherence, some passing combinations, some of that proactive play that Clint has been promising, promising us for the last 42 months. And I did again. I want to emphasize that this coach has been in charge of this program for 42 months. It's it's interesting to consider, and I'll get to some individual players maybe and what to look for in that regard in a second, but it's interesting to consider whether or not Klinsman has burned 
some of his the some of his remaining credit with the fans in light of the fitness comments. If if he hadn't said those things and he experimented on Sunday and they don't get look again, you're you're expected to be Panama and a loss would have been you know very distressing. But if they ha- didn't play well and got a draw or something or didn't play well and won one nothing. I think it would be okay, but with this, with him to continuing to criticize players, not by name in this case, but just in general, don't you feel like he's he's maybe uh, you know at least with the fans shortened his leash a bit? Yeah, I think I think you know fans have a innate sort of um, uh, BS detector, and there's there's a certain way of comportment that they expect from a coach, and this is fans around the world uh, when a coach. Um, when a coach's team loses, uh, there's a number of ways you can respond to that. Um, but, but it's, but, but we're seeing this trend of, of Clemson pointing the finger to the players. And, um, I have to go back and look through, but I think, you know, if I remember correctly, and I want to compile this information, you know, there, this is something he's done after many losses. Specifically, it happened after that Honduras match, uh, that, that ugly loss that opened the hexagonal mm-hmm. way back when in 2013. Um, he's done it on a couple of occasions since. Um, there's a tendency here that seems like a pattern. And even if the players have made mistakes, at some point, um, it's a bad look for a coach to continue to point the finger that way. Even if, even if it is on your players, take some of that burden on yourself. When we look at masterful managers around the world, you see that, that most of what they're doing in public is, is working to take the pressure off their players. Even if they're piling that pressure on the players in private, in the training sessions, even if they're unsatisfied with what they're getting from the squad, um, there's a real finite limit to, to the to the, the um, response you get from public criticism. Some players they can't take it at all. Some players can take it in small doses, and there's a precious few players that really thrive off of it. But I think at this point, uh, Jurgen's got to try something different. You've got to find a way to make this a we thing rather than a me and you thing, because you notice he's been slow to use the, the first person plural here, and people notice that, especially players. But I found that players are keenly aware. Um, of how their coach handles them uh, and refers, you know, speaks to them both in public and in private. If you're using the, the me and you thing, that that gets old quickly. In terms of uh, again moving past Klinsman, and, and obviously so much of what they do stems from him and his direction. We saw the three five two for a half against Chile. Would you expect to see that again? Any tweaks you would expect, especially in light of, of Jermaine Jones talking about his struggles to adapt? I, I certainly hope we see it again because if you're going to try something significantly different from from your previous status quo, is that you can't try and really make a meaningful judgment from 45 minutes or 60 minutes, you know, in one match. You've got to give your players time. I mean, there's fundamental differences in, in the spacing, in the roles, in the communication, in a three-man backline versus the four-man backline that the team had been playing in. So if you are serious about trying that. Um, and if you think of all the hours they've invested on the training ground in that system, you, you've got to give it more of a run out. Um, I'm, I'm a little surprised he, he switched things up as quickly as he did in Chile, but it's, there's some, you know, it's understandable to some extent. Now, you know, it's time to see what a different opponent, how it works on a different opponent, how it works in a different setting. Um, I think there's a lot of potential. You know, we, we see the, the wide play, um, that it enabled. We see some of the, the things that it created in a positive way against Chile. So, so let's see it in a couple of different settings. Um, if he abandons it so quickly, um, I, I think I'll, that's, that's going to say some uh, untoward things about his mentality as a coach and his, um, you know, the thought process. Because I just I don't understand why you would do that. Now that said, 
I do think you want to try, at least for part of the time, you want to try a different person in that in the center of that three-man back line. Um, the Jermaine Jones experiment is a fascinating one. It may yet pay off. But right now, it's time to see who your other options are. Maybe Matt Beasler has the uh, the IQ and the leadership and the communication skills to do that that role. Maybe there's someone else uh, on the current squad that can do it. But but let's see and let's let's see that kind of experimentation with the personnel rather than just changing the same guys into different spots or into different formations. Uh, beyond Matt Beasler potentially playing in the middle of that back three, who else uh, would you like to see in, in you know again whether as as a starter or certainly off the bench. Uh, get some time here. Um, well, you know, there's that role, and then there's the other, the other crucial roles. I think um, just to give a quick mention to the wing back, um, we saw Breck Shea and uh, DeAndre Yedlin in those wing back positions. Um, yeah, I want to I want to see you know some more out and out wing play. I think you saw the, the, the promising potential that comes from the three five two and the width that it brings with Shea and and Yedlin. Um, you know, Miguel Ibarra, we've heard Clemson say a lot of nice things about the NASL kid. I just brought him in for several camps now. We'll, we'll give him a run out. Let's get him in the starting 11. Let's see what he can do. If you are truly approaching this month and or this camp with an experimental spirit, let's give Miguel Ibarra, you know, a 60 minutes or maybe a full 90 minutes. Um, and then, you know, as you mentioned, the, the center back spot, there's a couple of intriguing options that you could try there. Uh, I think, um, I think Beasler is a great option there. Maybe even uh, Matt Hedges. Uh, slot him in there. So, you know, once again, it, experimentation uh, should apply, you know, all the way across the board, in my opinion, at, at this stage. Let's move on. I mean, again, it's a, it's a, it's a national team game. It will grab some attention, but it ultimately is a friendly uh, with some experimental elements, and, and Klinsman uh, will we'll see how he does. Uh, let's move on to some MLS topics. Uh, part of the reason, I mean, I'll connect them here, for these MLS players not to be as fit as maybe Eric Klinsman wants them is because it is the off season. They came into camp after uh, a break. Now, Klinsman has talked about extending the season, but we would need to start the season in 2015 first. Um, you had a tweet the other day that indicated that the t- these two sides are still very far apart. Now, there is a month, and, and we know these sometimes these things come down the wire, but from what, you, from what you understand, the players are, in fact, gearing up, or at least in terms of rhetoric, re- gearing up for a strike. Yeah, I think that we're a month out now, and there's, there's a lot of players in this league who are, are effectively living paycheck to paycheck. So I'm not, you know, I don't, I, I was, I've been told um, by some knowledgeable folks that the, the players have been told by their leadership to prepare for a strike. Now, that could mean any number of things. My opinion, what that means is that they, that they've got a month now to start stocking away some money. They've got a month to, to try and get their finances in as good an order as they possibly can, um, to prepare for not getting paid for a while. So, um, it's a little alarming, but it, it, you know, I can't say it's a big surprise given the, uh, the, the tone of negotiations thus far. The other interesting news that just dropped yesterday was that it appears that they do have a, a mediator, uh, in, in the negotiations now in DC at this stage. So um, also a, a sort of a, a, a reminder of just how tough things have gone at the table thus far, but it's also encouraging to see that they've brought in an outside uh, evaluator, someone who can help them um, close that distance a bit. But I just, it, it, it's tough at this stage to see um, how they're going to, they're going to find common ground on some of these, you know, these fundamental issues as the biggest solution free agents. Well, it, it, you know, Obviously, if the players are going to get what they want, or they're going to make a hard stand, they're going. There's going to have to be some significant sacrifice in a large, uh, in a large portion of the player base. Now, uh, my first question is is to you is to whether or not you know 
of any um, any pooling of money, any shared responsibility in terms of carrying players over that that maybe don't make as much during a strike period. Yeah, I think they have a rainy day fund. Um, it's, uh, it's, the union is, is a very small organization, though, and uh, and not generally extreme, not very leaky. <laughs> so, um, so I don't know too many details about the rainy day fund, but that's assured. Um, the players have known for a while that this is the uh, a really knockdown drag out um, negotiation period. They knew that that free agency was going to be a priority for them. So, um, my hope is that they prepared for that from some time out and. You know, one thing you can say about the uh, the skyrocketing designated player salaries is that um, if you apply, generally how unions do this across the board is you apply a percentage of your salary to the rainy day fund. So the six million dollar men, you know, the big the big earners um, are going to be chipping in uh, a bigger chunk, and and hopefully um, they're also going to be contributing with um, leadership and support, public support. We saw this week Robbie Keane took care to. Um, to stress his support and his unity with the cause uh, in a Sports Illustrated piece with Brian Strauss. Uh, I think we may see a little bit more of that. Michael Bowley has been a very vocal supporter of the uh, of the union's approach. Um, so that's that's a crucial element here, you know, keeping keeping everybody on side, keeping everybody on the same page. Uh, just to, just to clarify, you, you mentioned the mediator uh, and that news breaking or uh, coming out yesterday. Now, according to what Twitter is telling me right now. Um, just the only place that where that's being reported is down in Orlando through a TV station story. So I'm not positive, and uh, some people are saying that maybe that hasn't happened yet. Um, you would imagine that a mediator may come into play at some point, and and it, it, it definitely did in 2010. So we, even if that hasn't happened, I, I suppose we should expect that. Uh, maybe they haven't reached that stage. In terms of the, yeah, my go ahead. my message just blew up as well, and I'm getting told that that's incorrect. So uh, I'll trust the the uh, smart folks who've reached out to me in the last minute or so here. Um, maybe they're not if they're not at that point yet. Uh, it sounds like they're not. Uh, that's that's right. not a good sign. All right, Jonathan, Jonathan Tannenwald on Twitter was told this morning by MLS uh, Players Union, both sides in MLS CBA talks are open to having a mediator, but there's not one uh, officially involved yet. So that's that's the report from Jonathan Tannenwald up at uh, up in Philadelphia. Um, in terms of the messaging for, uh, across the board from these players, uh, you know, Robbie Keane saying that he backs the notion of a strike should it come to that. How important is it for those those top level players, the Bradleys, the Altidores, the the Keens who are making the most money? To, to be saying these things publicly? Oh, I think it's crucial. You know, this is, um, these are the guys who benefited the most from the status quo. They're the ones who have gained the most from the league's approach to date financially and, and in terms of the, the structure of contracts and the structure of the league. So, you know, if they're willing to go to bat for the guys making 36K, 40K, 50K, uh, who are living a fundamentally different lifestyle, then, um, you know, in a sense, it's really just the minimum. It's, it's, it's a must-have for the union. Um, but the fact that they've already gotten that in line uh, is a good sign for them. But, you know, it's, and it, it, the question is, if worst-case scenario unfolds in this kind of strike action and lockout and things, and things drag on and, and more than just a few weeks or days of the season is, is postponed or put off, then in that, you know, we get into a month or, or multiple uh, months of, 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 a, of a strike action or a, some kind of labor dispute, that's when it survives really just to get hard for these players making you know, modest salaries with mouths to feed, with bills to pay. So that's where you'll, you'll we'll sort of see if, and I, and I hope, and I'm sure everyone around the league on both sides of this issue hopes that it doesn't get to that point, 
but that's when the support and the leadership of those big earners is really going to count for the most. Yeah, and I, and I wonder if we might see some sort of grassroots movement, particularly in the in the cities with the most ardent fan bases, where they pass around a hat for some of the lower earners in this in the league, especially if they back the players on the notion of free agency. And I certainly get the sense that the that the MLS fan base is more behind the players than the owners. And that's look, you know, big money tends to to alienate some people, and that's certainly what the owners have. All right, before I let you go, Charlie, I'm running out of time, but there are a couple of things. And the way that MLS operates that have been uh, that have come up in, in in recent weeks that are interesting, and I'm going to start with training compensation. I'm about to talk to Adam Jardy from the Columbus Dispatch in a couple minutes, uh, and this came up uh, specifically because of Sergio Campbell, a draft pick out of Jamaica, uh, and the notion that MLS does not pay training compensation. Now, his team down in Jamaica, Portmore United, I believe, asked for seventy five hundred dollars. They've come to some agreement. I don't know what it is. MLS won't disclose it. But in general, what's the what's the issue for MLS when it comes to training compensation? Well, it, it, it's a it's a revenue or it's a it's a cost stream uh, that they just don't want to deal with. I think that's the simplest way to put it. They're comfortable not paying training compensation. They're comfortable not receiving training compensation when they sell players abroad. Um, we know this league is extremely cost conscious, um, and they're accustomed to. Uh, relying on the draft system as the sort of the the easiest and most cost-effective way to bring in talent. And that's obviously come predominantly from the NCAA, right? But the last decade or so has seen a real explosion in the the internationalization of the NCAA scene. So you're getting kids from all over the world that are coming here, and and many of them are elite players um, who who are, are then able to rise to the next level and go into the MLS draft. And in this case, you know, it's, it's brave, and, it's, and I am impressed with Portmore for, for stepping up and for laying down a hard line. Um, you know, they had a role in Campbell's uh, development, and they're, they're appealing to FIFA regulations. This is something that a, a domestic American player you know, wouldn't be dealing with because U.S. soccer has effectively enforced, uh, received and enforced an exemption from FIFA. Um, they don't have to pay training compensation, and, and uh, it, it's uh, to me, you're, you're limiting yourself on both sides. You're, you're, yes, you're limiting your cost. You're also gonna, you know, limiting your your return on your investment. If MLS and U.S. soccer in general is serious about reaching the next level of player development, you're going to have to open this Pandora's box and get into this and give a little here and there and to get a lot more because as it is now, the American player development system, as messy and chaotic as it is, is, is growing a lot of strong players. Yeah. And if, if they leave your academy... Um, many of them we're seeing already. Some of the top youth uh, internationals right now are, are are going over to Europe, and the club that helps in their development, the clubs plural, are getting nothing. Yeah. And so, long term, that's got to change. And you would imagine, and just to make a point on this, you would imagine that this would uh, you know mitigate some of that win first mentality at some of these youth clubs in the U.S. if they're able to to drive some revenue. Um, from the kids that they develop properly. I mean, it's it's so much about winning and then getting, uh, you know, getting kids in whose parents are paying large amounts of money to fund the club and coaches who know that if they don't win, they're not going to convince the par- the pl- parents to pay. That if you had this revenue stream, would that make a difference, Charlie? I think I think it would. It, it it's just that it requires a fundamental shift in philosophy and perspective, which is what what is our raise on a chair? What is our justification for existence? What is our metric for success? And too many clubs, even MLS clubs, uh, are still relying on old metrics uh, of success. You know, uh, National Signing Day was this week. Wednesday was the opening of the official period in which 
uh, NCAA recruits can, uh, can sign letters of commitment. And, uh, plenty of MLS clubs, uh, have, uh, you know, we're celebrating the, their, their product, you know, signing college, uh, commitments, which is great. I think it's great to support your players and celebrate their achievements. Um, but that's not why these professional academies are created. These professional academies are supposed to be operating a, a significantly differently, different mentality from the, the previous, you know, status quo, uh, youth clubs. Um, but it takes, it's hard to do that, right? Like growing pros is really hard. Yeah. We, we know how to grow college players. You don't, you don't necessarily have that institutional expertise on growing elite level pros. So I think that's, that's something where we, we've got to get up to the next level. That's where those, that, the, the, the climb into the international lead is, is tough to see it in the, the devilish details like that. So MLS uh, doesn't play Patreon training compensation. You're saying that the Pandora's box has got to be open at some point. It's a little bit of MLS putting their fingers in their ears and going la, 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 la. The other, the, another thing that causes consternation, especially for foreign players who come here, is the way MLS uh, uh, does player trades. I mean, this is standard in American sports. But it's foreign to the rest of the world. And we've got an issue with Ambrose Oyongo, the young fullback who was traded from the New York Red Bulls to Montreal uh, to, in order for the Red Bulls to be able to sign Sasha Kleschian and get Felipe Martins in. Uh, I don't know if you know a lot about this, Charlie, but apparently the, the Cameroon FA is unhappy, the agent's unhappy, and they're claiming that he's a free agent, partic- uh, I guess based on some technicality in, in terms of how his loan went down with the Red Bulls. Yeah, I don't know the, the details on this. Um, it, it's a, it's an interesting situation here, and we've seen some uh, some hijinks for coming out of Cameroon in the past. There was a, uh, another Cameroonian, uh, young Cameroonian player, was a, uh, a target for the Colorado Rapids, uh, Charles Alongo. Uh, I think this was the beginning of last year, maybe even all the way back to 2013, but uh, the Cameroon FA um, seemingly in cahoots with his club, um, played games with his registration and kept him from joining the club that uh, the, the Rapids that thought they had him had him signed up, um, you know, well before the season started. So um, again, this is one of the reasons that we see MLS stick so um, um, so rigidly to their single entity approach. They would rather deal with these issues as a collective. The league headquarters feels that they're much more empowered and they much much have much better leverage in dealing with this murky international transfer market collectively than in, as individual clubs. Um, you know, in Oyango's case, I, I think that, that MLS can end up winning here because the single entity model has been blessed and has been approved by FIFA repeatedly over the years. I don't think that he's got a lot of leverage. I think we're effectively seeing a player who's unhappy with having to change destinations. And why not? I don't blame him. I think it's, it, it's, uh, baffling for me that a team like the Red Bulls, uh, would, would pursue a, a guy like that for so long. Both jump through all the hurdles it takes to go get a player like him. On the international market, um, and then swap them out. But that's a, you know that's another consequence of a, a change of ownership or a change of leadership. Mm-hmm. A new coach, new GM, you know, putting their stamp on things. Um, so he has the right to be upset, but I think that when it comes to the the, the legalese here, he, he's he's got to have a really really good case. It must be a really compelling uh, wrinkle in the in the paperwork somewhere. But I honestly don't see it happening. Yeah. We may see another uh, um, um, situation like we did last year where uh, maybe there's a negotiated exit of some kind, um, uh, but I don't, I don't know that he's going to be able to, to dictate his, the terms of where he goes within MLS. But maybe that he's responsible enough that he can force a move uh, abroad. I mean, there's a new country involved. There's a, there's a language barrier, certainly, in Montreal. I, I don't know if Oyango speaks any French, but 
But there you go. So uh, there are some things. And you he certainly should. Well, he certainly <laughs> should. Sure, but, but um, um, you know, this, this is reminiscent of the Camilo situation last year where uh, the, the relationship broke down. Uh, the player thought he had a uh, an out to go to go um, chase a, a big Mexican payday without you know transfer pay having to be paid. Um, there's there's all too many folks yeah. out there that the world of agents is is intensely complex and and often very manipulative. There may be a third party or a fourth parties here who who, who have um, suggested that they can um, remove the player from the, their current situation and and provide them a, a way out to to more money or or a mm-hmm. choice of destination. But uh, that's that's a tough. Yeah, I, I, I apologize for my the gap in my uh, African uh, col- colonization knowledge there when it comes to Cameroon and French, <laughs> uh, but, but we'll move on. I got I got to run, Charlie for uh, Charlie Bohm, MLSsoccer.com, US Soccer Players, SoccerWire.com. Thank you very much for your time, Charlie. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me, Jason. Have there a great show. Let's uh, take a break. When we come back, Adam Jardy, Columbus Dispatch. We'll talk Columbus Crew off season. Maybe bring up Sergio Campbell. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, Backhill.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go. Let's talk a little Columbus crew with Adam Jardy from the Columbus Dispatch on the line with me now. Adam, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well, Jason. How about yourself? I- I'm, I'm good. Um, it's not that the Columbus crew haven't done some things in the offseason to this point to get ready for 2015. But at the same time, I wonder if you have a little reporter envy when you look around the Eastern Conference and see that, you know, the Revs have re-signed Agadello, and uh, New York has brought in Sasha Kleschen, and NYCFC is getting started with these big names. What do you make of, of, the, of the way that the Columbus Crew offseason has gone in relation to the rest of the Eastern Conference? You know, I, I will, yeah, maybe I'll mention a little bit of envy, but I will say that I was able to maybe unwind a little bit more in the offseason than maybe some other MLS beat reporters. So sure. I guess I'll kind of take that and, you know, run with it a little bit. Okay, um, fair enough. Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> it's interesting to me when you look at the crew and it's off season because really a significant portion of it began before last season ended. Uh, the biggest need that this team has had, I mean, I know we've talked about it, everybody's talked about it for the last two, three years. They need a striker. And they believe they, they found that striker in Kai Kamara. So they go out and they sign him late last season. He can't play last season, obviously. But that's basically their big off-season acquisition. And it's a guy that's been here since uh, August-ish, August-September, and you know spent the last month or two of the season training with the team, uh, was here for off-season workouts and conditioning. Uh, so really, when I look at their off-season, that's the biggest impact player, and, and he was signed during last season. And then also, at the same token, uh, Emmanuel Pogatetz, uh, there's a central defender that they signed late last year, um, was eligible to play and did get a couple of minutes, but they didn't want to mess with uh, the chemistry they had going down the stretch, so he didn't, he didn't see a whole lot of action. He'll start this year. He's one of the highest paid guys on the team. You know, he's going to be a starter from day one. And so when you look at where they're going to get contributions from new guys next season, to me, it's two guys that they had signed before last season ended. It's a good point. I mean, I think it's, it seems so long ago that Kai Kamara joined. Obviously, uh, you said Pogatetz towards the end of the year. So those things are feeding into 2015, but with all this other news out there, 
we tend to forget about it. There are a couple of things. There are a couple of signings that they've made uh, since then, and certainly in the in the transfer in the uh, the window right now. Um, I don't know if you want to if you have a, a book on any of these guys. What do we know about Cedric, for example? Uh, well, the, the first thing that I know about Cedric is that he's young, he's fast, and he hasn't scored a goal in about three years, <laughs> something like that. So, you know, I, I look at them signing a guy like that, and you've got to think, you know, okay, there, there's potentially there's a lot of upside there. I mean, this is a guy that has trained his entire career in Spain, has played at, you know, some very high levels over there, and you, you've got to like that sort of pedigree with a guy of that age. Um, I don't know that, you know, I think the fans, you, you hear a signing and you look at, where he's where he's from, and you expect him to come in and, and you know be a major force. I don't see it yet, mm-hmm. and maybe maybe I'll be telling you a different story if we're talking in August or September here. But you know, I mean, that's a, a guy that I, I think you know has a lot of upside, but he's he's I think 22 years old. I mean, he, he's younger than some of the guys they drafted. So you know, it, it it tells you that I think he's a little bit of a ways off. I think he's a guy that can add competition and add some depth on the wings, but. I don't see him making a major impact All right, here. So, I, just, I just don't. So he's he's going to be, if he does get some time, if, if he is a factor, it would be on the wing. We already mentioned uh, the big signing at striker uh, with Kai Kamara coming back. Uh, you have Romain Gall in the team. He's obviously a USU 20. What's the development path for a guy like Romain Gall? Well, they're, they're expecting him to play more this year. And we saw him a little bit last season, and they acquired him right toward the end of the transfer window. And, uh, you know, he saw a couple of minutes here and there. He looked, looked sharp and just, you know, some bit time down the stretch. Uh, but a guy that they think can come in and challenge for a lot more playing time this year. And I think that, that how much we see of, of Gall will, will kind of depend on, on how much he's willing to run with it. I mean, he, he's had a, a really good offseason. He's he represented well with the U-20s. And it's a guy that, you know, they're going to be looking for guys to play on the wing. It's the position they, they uh, substitute the most especially late in games. I mean, that's where you see guys come on and, and give them a spark. And he's, he's one of the many guys that, that's going to be trying to carve out a niche there. And he's going to have a chance to do it. So I'm, I'm really curious to see as this preseason goes on, uh, you know, where he is and, and what he starts to show them. Cause that's, that's a guy that could have a big impact this year. So, so again, I mean, we, we know what the Columbus, I'm sorry, crew SC, I have to make that transition, <laughs> don't I? When did it, when does it officially happen or did it officially happen already? I think it was like the first of the year was when they really kind of started to, to hammer on it. Um, I know that um, in the last month or so, my stories have changed to reflect that. <laughs> so on first reference, it is Crew SC and not the crew, which right. has taken uh, um, some time to get used to. So, uh, yeah, I think the, the transformation is here. You know, we're, we're in the middle of the CBA negotiations. I just touched on some of that with, with Charlie Bohm. Um, the likelihood of a strike or the likelihood, certainly the, the almost certainty that we're going to have a federal mediator involved, just like the last time around. There's new ownership in, in Columbus. There's a new sort of invigorating feeling around the club. There's the new branding. There's, I don't know where the talk on the stadium is, but certainly some upgrades to, to Crew Stadium over the last couple of years and, and maybe some more plans. How does, how does um, pre-court view, how do you, where do you think he falls in terms of the owners in MLS? We have this notion that there are some distinctive groups of either conservative or, or more proactive owners. You know, that, that's an interesting question, and I, I haven't really had the, the opportunity to present that to him uh, recently. I think that, you know, he, he sort of exemplifies, I feel like, sort of the new wave of owners, and I think he's a little bit more forward-thinking than maybe some, some of the owners in the league. I think that he's a guy that 
this is just pure speculation on my part, but I don't think he would be upset with things like salary cap raising and, you know, being able to have a little bit more flexibility to sign players and to, you know, uh, maybe go outside the box and, and, and change things a little bit. I, I don't think that, I don't think he's a guy that's going into any of those meetings and thumping his fist on the table and saying status quo. I think he's, he recognized, I would guess that he would recognize that the league needs to adapt a little bit and change a little bit. And uh, I, I would see him being a little bit more progressive. And I think that you know, maybe some of that too comes with, there is some, some momentum around his team right now. I mean, there's with the rebranding, with the way they finished last season, um, you know, there's a little bit more excitement, I would say, than the last three, four years um, getting ready for the season. And I, I think that it would be very detrimental for them in this market to have a work stoppage. And I'm sure it's, it's you know, probably the same just about everywhere. But sure. specifically here, we're trying so hard to carve out a niche. Um, it would really hurt them to not have the season start on time here. Speaking of that, that niche, um, you know, what sense, I mean, while, while they put their team together and it's obviously second year for Greg Berhalter at the helm and, and Anthony Precourt, um, you know, with his, his, his stewardship now as, as owner kind of taking on, um, you know, this is, he really is, I hate to use this, he's owning the team more than he did before, clearly with the rebrand and like, what is the, the feeling in town about, the crew heading into this season is there a sense that there is a buzz is are they going to sell more season tickets where do things stand on that front you know i i think they're they're hoping that they sell more season tickets it's interesting they've changed their focus a little bit from an organization uh organizational standpoint to where yes they want to grow their season ticket base but they're trying really hard to just get more sellouts in just about any way that they can do it so whether that's walk-up tickets group sales or season tickets um the, that's the main focus and Last year, that was that was highly touted as the season came to an end. That they had five or six sellouts last year, which was a, a Crew Stadium record. And so the, there's sort of a belief that if they can continue to sell out Crew Stadium, that that will make more people understand what it is to to experience a game there. It will increase the atmosphere. Or it will make people more excited to go there. You know, build continue to build that buzz that they talk about all the time. And so that's that's really where the focus. It is now is that they want to get as many people in the stadium as they can, whether that's season tickets or whether that's, uh, you know, hopefully not comp tickets, but, you know, just getting butts in the seats. And so, uh, you know, you obviously can't do that without a strong season ticket uh, base. And I know that they're, they're still working on that, but I think they're still, they're still sort of in that same realm where they've been for the last several years. I mean, they're probably somewhere between seven to 8,000 season tickets. And uh, yeah, I don't know what it's going to take for them to get through that, but um, there certainly is an excitement level for the year though. I, I think more than the last, like I said, probably the last three, four years, is that, you know, last year's team really kind of caught people by surprise a little bit. I mean, myself, myself uh, absolutely included. I didn't expect them to finish third. I didn't expect them to, to close down the stretch the way that they did. And obviously the playoff um, exit left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. But, you know, you look at why they were successful last year and you, and you look at what they have on the roster and where they've upgraded and you say, well, there's no reason to expect that they should be, they, they, they shouldn't be any better. Yeah. I mean, they expectations are there for them to at least maintain what they did last year. You look at the roster, obviously coming off of, of a good season in 2014, they, they have talent. There's, there's entertainment here. Obviously we know what Federico Iguain brings to the table every time he steps on the field. Uh, but there are guys like Will Trapp and Ethan Finley. And, and, and before I get to a, question, a couple questions about those guys specifically, uh, I'm looking here. Some of the other names brought in Mohamed Syed from uh, a, a Swedish player, Christian Steindorsen, uh, an Icelandic player. Seems like Greg is maybe mining that Scandinavian connection. Not that Iceland is Scandinavia. I've gotten in trouble with that before. But uh, you are, uh, you know, you're seeing some some uh, international flavor 
um, in the midfield. What what do those guys bring as far as you can tell with camp underway? Well, they they add more depth first off, and and that's that's a very boring answer to the question, but it, it's true. I mean, Steindorf is a guy that I think can compete for a starting role um, right off the bat. I think based on you know maybe what he brings and sort of the, his his size and and you know the way he likes to play the game. If he can grasp Greg's system off the bat, I feel like he's a guy that can that can make a, a case for for a job. But the problem is that I don't see how you displace a guy like Ethan Finley. Mm-hmm. And and like you, I know you said we'll talk about him in a little bit, but the way he played last year, um, I mean that's a guy that you know he's a starter. He's proven it. He you need to give him a chance. And so I think Steindorf is on a list with a list of guys like. Justin Miram and Roman Gall and maybe even Ben Spees and, you know, a couple of other guys who are in the, in the mix for that starting spot on the left wing. And so, you know, I, I think that's a guy that, that when you look at off-season additions, I think that's a guy that can come in and make an immediate impact. As far as uh, Saeed goes, I, I don't see him as a starter. Um, I don't see him as a guy that will displace a Will Trap. Now I see him as maybe being a guy who holds down that spot when Will's on national team duty. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, a lot of these moves, when I look at them and, and I try to figure out how they, they all fit in, to me, I feel like they've upgraded the bottom end of the roster. These are, these are guys that when you have to make a sub, when you have a guy away, you know, suspension, injury, national team, whatever, these are guys that they can step in, and the level is probably going to drop a little. It's not going to drop as drastically as last year. So I think, to me, that's where, that's where you see some of these guys making impacts is, mm-hmm. is helping that overall depth and helping build that bottom half of the roster. Another a, a guy who who may be depth. I think this would be a little distressing to some American uh, national team fans who would like to see him continue to to get playing time and maybe break in under Jurgen Klinsmann is Chris Clute. Um, acquiring Chris Clute is is that a depth thing? I mean, it doesn't seem to me like he's likely to to displace Waylon Francis as a starter. No, I, I don't see him. Um, I don't see that happening either. I, I could see him spelling Whalen when if he's away on national team duty. I honestly could see him opening the season at right back. Okay. And uh, I mean they, they signed um, uh, Hernan Grana out of Argentina um, a week or two ago, and that's a guy that you know things are are expected of him, and, and I, I think most fans probably project him to be the starter. But he's coming off a rough year. He didn't play very well last year. He didn't fit into the system where he was, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's going to be some some adjustments, and I think he might eventually be the long term starter. But I don't know that, you know, coming into a new league and a new team and coming off a tough season, I don't know that he immediately jumps in the lineup. I think maybe you go with a guy like Clute who uh, has the experience in the league and has played at a, at a high level here. So, you know, that that's kind of my expectation for Clute. I think he maybe starts the season at right back, and then you see him, um, you know, as, as a depth guy and on either side. Uh, Will Trapp, uh, you mentioned him potentially being away on national team duty uh, at points during this season, and clearly he's been on a trajectory that puts him in the mix to be one of uh, Jurgen Klinsmann's choices at, at various times, depending on the type of roster. In, in terms of what Will Trapp means to this team, I mean, I, I just feel like we need to to, sh- to share a couple of words on on how important he's become, how good he's become as as a player for the for the Columbus Crew. It, it was it's really hard to, to almost put it into words because he's not a he doesn't necessarily show up on the stat sheet. You might not see him on the highlight reel, um, but he just, he does such a good job of remaining calm on the ball. He, he can handle pressure well. And he's so good at switching the point of attack. I mean, he's like that, that pendulum there in the back where, you know, the ball needs to get 40 yards up the field on the other side, and, and he's able to make that pass. And he does it with a guy in his face or with a guy trying to close him down. Um, you know, he's just, he means so much 
also, I, I feel just from, from a, a leadership standpoint, mm-hmm. from a, a youth standpoint, from a local standpoint, I mean, yeah. he grew up 15 minutes from the stadium, and, and I think that the fans, you know, recognize that, and then they, they kind of rally behind the guy. He, he's a fiery guy. He, you know, it's it just, he has all those things that you look for, aside from being a really good soccer player. He has all the little qualities on and off the field that you just, you want to see in a leader, and that's why... You know, last year Greg Berhalter made him a vice captain, yeah. and then he ended up when Michael Parkhurst was on was away for a little while. Uh, Will Trapp became the youngest captain in MLS history last season. Mm. Yeah, I mean that that's the kind of player he is, and so that that tells you where he's going. And and uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting year for him because last year he really played himself onto the radar, and now he's got to continue to build off of that. Ethan Finley is another guy with a little bit of chatter about a national team future, but it's not just the United States. It's also Canada. He has eligibility there. And, and uh, specifically, I've got a Canadian listener who wants to know if you've heard anything specific about where Ethan might lean in his ultimate decision, because it's, it's not going to be easy. It's a little Tesho Akadele. Do you not that not that Ethan's had a call up yet, but do you go and and risk not playing much for the U.S. or do you go and help Canada who where you might be able to start pretty quickly? Well, I can say that I know that both possibilities are intriguing to him, but I think that his top priority is the United States. He would really like to play for Jurgen. He'd really like to play in this system. He really wants to represent his country. But that being said, I think that if time goes on and that call doesn't come, then at some point you say, you know what, I want to go play for somebody. And if Canada, in fact, is making a call to him, it would be difficult for him to say no. I don't. I think that right now, if Canada called him, my impression is that he would say, "Not yet. I'm not ready to make that that switch." You know, give me a little bit of time. If we're six months from now or a year from now, and, and he duplicates what he did last year, this year, and the United States still isn't calling him, and Canada does, I think, I think all bets are off at that point. Yeah. But my understanding is that his preference right now will be to play for the United States. But he wouldn't necessarily say no to Canada if they were to call. Hey, look, he's 24 years old. I mean, he's one of those guys. And it's not that he's not talented. It's just that because of the way that American development typically works, and especially with the college guys, by the time you really make an impact, you don't have much time left to make that decision. He he can't wait until he's 27 before he decides. Right. No, you're absolutely right. And um, like you said, I mean, as far as like taking time to make that impact, I mean, you know, he didn't score at all until last season we broke out and had 11 goals. Mm. And so, you know, it's all, you're kind of compressing all this development and all these big decisions into a very short time period for him. And I know that it's been, he's done a pretty good job of not being too overwhelmed by it and, and, you know, being able to sort of stay focused on the here and now, but it's a crazy time for Ethan Finley right now. And it's, it's going to be a really interesting year to see what he's able to do. Last question here for you, Adam, before I let you go. Um, again, the season is a month away, provided that we started on time with the CBA negotiations. But when you look at the Eastern Conference, and, and we talked a little bit about, it's not that the season, the offseason has been quiet. It's just been a different type of offseason than some of these other teams in the East. Do you believe the crew have, have lost ground to their competitors for the playoff spots? Or do you think that they have managed to, to maintain, especially, and look, consistency and having your core come back, that's an advantage as well. You know, it, it's it's really hard to say because I, I felt like last year with their acquisitions, I mean, bringing in Steve Clark and Michael Parkhurst and retaining a lot of the core that they had from the year before that, I felt like everybody, I felt like the crew was better, but everybody around them got more better. That was how I felt going into last season, and then they end up finishing third. This year, I feel like the crew, at the very least, kept pace with everybody because, like I said, I feel like adding Kamara, 
feel like adding Pogatets. I feel like, um, you know, some of these guys that, that had breakout seasons last year, I, I think that they're in a good spot. And, and it's hard, especially now, I mean, with six teams making the playoffs, I mean, there, there's no reason to expect they won't at least risk postseason. Now, I don't know that they will finish third again. It's going to be really interesting to me to see how things work in Greg Berhalter's second season. Because I think I, I look at what Caleb Porter did his first year and how well they played mm. and then the struggles they went through that next year. Mm. And I wonder if we're going to see a similar sort of dip here in Columbus this season because the blueprint is out. You know, the word is out. People know how they're going to play. They know who most of these guys are. Can they adapt to it this year? Can they, can they overcome the fact that teams know what they're going to do and, and still find a way to win? And what's interesting is, like you said, they haven't necessarily made as many of the big off-season acquisitions as other teams. So that might end up hurting them a little bit because maybe there's not as much new to prepare for when you talk about the crew as you talk about the other teams. So really, in a lot of ways, I, I don't want to pit in on one guy, but in a lot of ways, it really depends on what Kai Kamara can do. Yeah, I mean, if he come right. in and score you know, 10, 12 goals, maybe more, I mean, that would, that would do wonders for them. But if you can't, then they're basically the same team they were last year, and I don't know that that gets them as far as it did. Yeah, we'll see if uh, Columbus Crew fans, or sorry, Crew SC fans, see a lot of heart-shaped hands this season uh, with Kai Kamara. <laughs> Adam Jardy from the Columbus Dispatch. Adam Jardy on Twitter. Thanks for your time and your insight, Adam. I appreciate it. Hey, anytime. Thanks for the call. Uh, let's take a break. Uh, we'll come back. We'll open up the phone lines. Get the Twitter machine fired up. It's a Friday. You're heading to the weekend. Give me your thoughts. Let's go. Soccer morning. Backhill.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Guys, you have no idea what I put up with around here. No idea. Just constant, constant, I don't know, criticism. Constant, I don't know. It's just, it's just ridiculous. It, the working environment around here. Let me just, t- no, I'm serious. I'm not serious. Not serious at all. All right. Uh, let's, uh, let's open up the phone line 347-756-6276. Get the Twitter machine going. Right as I was getting done with Adam Jardy from the Columbus Dispatch, Robert jumped on, wanted to know about the blackout situation in Columbus. I asked Adam off the air. No change, Robert. Unfortunately, there's not going to be any change at all when it comes to the TV situation for the Columbus crew. If you remember from last season, the crew signed a deal with Time Warner Cable or Time Warner Sports, excuse me. That's a limit. There's limited distribution within the Columbus market for that channel. It's only available if you have Time Warner Cable. Not very many people do. And apparently there's not going to be any change and you won't be able to see those, uh, those games on MLS Live if you live locally. Sorry about that. Maybe we can uh, create a, a underground network to, to get streams going for Columbus crew fans. Vince, what's going on, man? Oh, hey, Jason. How's it going? Uh, I, uh, it's going well. What's on your mind? Uh, I wanted to talk some like Jurgen Klinsmann. Uh, do you do? All right. You want to give us your perspective on what did what did Charlie call it? He called it Fitness Gate or Fitness Gossy. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it that way. What, what's up, Vince? Uh, you know, it's interesting because uh, for the longest time, I was a Klinsmann defender. You know, I'd... Uh, I'd always jump to his defense whenever someone would criticize him. But, you know, since the World Cup, you know, I've kind of 
changed my opinion on him. And now I'm at the point where I don't think he's the right guy for the job anymore. Um, you know, I'll just leave it at that because, you know, uh, as a Canadian, for, for a long time I was saying, oh, if, you know, if the U.S. doesn't want Klinsman, I'd be more than happy to take him off their hands. Yeah. But now I'm not so sure. I mean, uh, you know, I still think Klinsman's, you know, he's not a job for life, but unless he, you know, tanks spectacularly at the Gold Cup, uh, he's not going to get fired. I think they're going to give him all the way until 2018 no, to I, see I, if, you know, whatever he's trying to do pays off. Yeah, well, look, I, I am all for if you make a decision, if you want to cre- change something, if you want to create revolution, evolution, whatever. I'm all for committing to that and staying with it and not cutting bait too quickly because you're not giving it a chance to work. At the same time, if you have three and a half years, four years, five years of evidence and it's you're not progressing and and the results aren't there or the style of play is going backwards rather than forward i don't know how you continue to keep him on i i think you're right i think they will he signed a contract sino galati has pushed all his chips into the middle and he is betting on jurgen klinsman and if he goes down he's going to go down with him you know a lot of people were hyping up costa rica as, as being the new favorite for the gold cup after the world cup um, and I don't think that's the case anymore because, you know, a lot of their success was, was because of Pinto. Now he's gone and now Wanchop is the new coach. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people were wondering, how will the U.S. match up to a Costa Rica? How will Mexico match up to the co- to Costa Rica? Now, I think Mexico might be the favorite currently because, you know, they, their coach is doing uh, good work, Miguel Herrera. And, uh, you know, they're, they're on the up. All the U.S. is experimenting, experimenting. But, you know, there's months to the Gold Cup, so we'll see what happens. I mean, at the end of the day, Jason, I'd love to have the problems the U.S. is having right now when it comes to Canada. Sure. I mean, I got, I mentioned on a Canadian soccer forum, I'm like, is it too much to ask for our players to have clubs when they represent the national team? And I got attacked by Canadian fans saying, stop being unrealistic. <laughs> it's all relative. I appreciate the phone call and the perspective, Vince. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, no problem, Jason. Take care. Let's go to Raf Naboe Rivera from Hudson River Blue. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk NYCFC today, Raf. What's going on? Uh, no, I was actually going to talk Klinsman. Okay, well, 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 tell yeah. me, okay, you're yelling. You're yelling. Let's, let's, let's turn you down just a, just a bit. You're really, really loud. <laughs> okay, co- talk a little quieter, Raf, and tell me what you think about Jurgen Klinsman. No, well, I don't know if you saw the ESPN story. Um this morning he's basically doubled down oh i or saw tripled it. down yeah i saw it and i you know two things come to mind okay just right off the top of my head all right first this is a really dumb fight for him to be picking on this particular subject wait wait are you are you ascribing to jürgen klinsman some sort some some actual sense of what's appropriate and when it's appropriate he doesn't care Ralph. <laughs> no i know i know he doesn't care i just th- my thing is that look if i'm a reporter and i'm asking him i'm like you know you're not going to name names but you want me to hold re- players responsible i mean how do i square this circle you know it's ridiculous and i just like alexi said i just think um i'm not going to swear on your show i think it's chicken crap um I also think it's indicative of just a general lack of ideas. Um, you know, he just really comes off sounding like this um, very sort of dour. What, what's sort of the iconic, what is what, what is that phrase? Uh, a a good a good craftsman doesn't blame his tools. I'm not saying that he doesn't have some right to say the personnel is a problem for me, and that's why I can't 
do what I want to do. But maybe, again, maybe you say this behind closed doors. And again, you are the technical director. So it's also your job to figure out a way to fix those issues. I understand you can't do that over a short timeline. It's not like Jurgen Klinsmann can make the U.S. a talented team with as much talent as a Mexico or a a France or a Germany or Spain in in three years. I'm not putting that on him. But but when you get to this point and, and what you've done to the team is push them in a backwards direction again rather than a forward direction right. and you can you only have so many times that you can say well you know we're trying new things or i'm trying to get them to understand and, that it takes suffering how many times is the man going to say the word suffering by the way right and here's and here's the thing that actually concerns me aside from the fitness and all that stuff it's just the real mad and wild careening from system to system and just the indecisiveness about how he wants the team to play because you know, now we're coming up to crunch time and you have less time than what you may think you have in terms mm-hmm. of getting the team in a role. You can't just, you know, people talk about, well, the losses are coming in friendlies and so that he's experimenting and it doesn't matter. But the thing about it is, is that those losses take a toll psychologically on players. Sure. Yeah. And, and that's the problem because then you come to a tournament like the World Cup. And it's really easy when you're coming off, you know, say like a 10 game, 12 game, you know, losing streak. It's really hard to turn it on. Yeah. You know, even if you're playing at home yeah, in front I, of presumably friendly clouds. Right. And I'm not entirely certain that's the case if you're playing in the Rose Bowl. Sure. Mind. You said World Cup, you meant Gold Cup. I'm, I'm with you, you on that. Cup. But you know, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, like, know, it, 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 and it, I could very easily see this team, you know, stumbling through the World Cup. And then all of a sudden, you know, the pressure then cranks up even that much further because right after the the Gold Cup comes the Copa America. Sure. And that's going to be, you know, a magnitude of degree of difficulty tougher. Yeah. You know, and then at that point, you've just basically lost control. So I really think that he needs to, whatever that system is, whether it's a 3-5-2, whether it's a 3-4-3 where, you know, you possess the ball and you, you know, try to press high up the field, settle on a system. Yeah. And start drilling the hell out of that system. Mm-hmm. I, I Put fe- that I, system in and then just stop and mm-hmm. just go forward with that. Again, I think what's interesting, I'm going to let you go, Raph. I've got to get another yeah. call on the line. But I think what's interesting here is, is that it, it seems pretty obvious. And I, I think this was clear from the very beginning that Jurgen Klinsmann's concern has been less about what's happening right now, except when he got to the World Cup and turned into the most practical coach on the planet. It's less about what's happening right now and what's, and more about what he's trying to create for the future. The problem is he doesn't know if he's going to succeed in that regard. So he's working with this notion of changing the culture and breaking us. This is very much like, like boot camp. You break them down to build them back up. Okay. But we're going through these pains while you break us down and you're losing a fan base who doesn't have much patience to begin with. Jonathan Tannenwald. What's up, man? I was muted waiting, waiting my turn. I, I know you. You were very patient. I, I applaud you. A couple things. One, you sound like you were talking about your, your lack of infrastructure and you know, resources over there. You sound like you're in need of a union. <laughs> a one-man union? I, I don't know. Can we get a, an American soccer podcaster's union going? Um, I don't think we'd have much clout, John. <laughs> I, I, was, I was listening to Vince. Uh, and I appreciated his remarks. The funny thing is we hear a lot of people talking about how the, uh, the Canadian Soccer Association needs a guy with big ideas who can knock some heads together and get things done, you know, by force of his personality. I've got a suggestion for them. 
<laughs> Jurgen Klinsmann? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, and Vince knows that. I've yeah. had that conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. before, but I thought you might enjoy it. In all okay. seriousness, John, there is something to the notion that maybe Jurgen Klinsmann is better suited for a job like Canada than he is for a job like the United States. And I'm because I'm, I'm not saying the guy is not on some level effective in certain ways. I don't think he's the best game manager. I don't think that he's the best tactician. I don't think he's the best man manager in the moment. Let's get these guys motivated. But I think he does have that note again. A, a point to the fact that he's been working in. He's been working in advance here. He, he's not. Bob Bradley's job was to win games, whatever that game was, whatever he was presented with, with whatever players he had. Jurgen Klinsmann's got a mandate that's very different. It would be nice if every once in a while he would say, yeah, I, I, I tried that and it didn't work and I screwed up. Would it be nice? Yeah, I think it would be nice. I, I'm with you on that. It would be nice. So one, one other thing real quick and then I'll, I'll, I'll get out of here. Um, I was listening to Adam, Adam Yardy in, in your discussion with him uh, on, on Reporter's Envy. There's a lot of folks in Philadelphia who like uh, the team to be making some signings too. I've been, I've been able to keep myself busy, but I don't think, uh, I don't think Columbus is the only market where, uh, where this has been a problem. This is true. I, I think Philadelphia is another place where uh, we're thinking. Well, again, I mean, in terms of sheer numbers, Columbus has outdone Philadelphia, have they not? I would say so. Yeah. Uh, what's uh, while you're here, and since you brought it up, I, I know how the fans. I know how frustrated some fans are, and we obviously have degree of involvement and interest in the most uh, most interested fans or the most frustrated fans. But where do things stand in in terms of team building for for 2015? I, I think we've already gone over some of this, but it's worth a review here. Well, the big question right now is going to be whether uh, whether CJ Sapong is going to be the number one striker. Um, or whether they're going to go get somebody else. I like CJ, but he's not a number one striker, I, John. Not anymore. No. And not, not the way MLS is these days. Not when you're going up against Josie Altador and WWE well, and he, so he's, on and so forth. And, and he, maybe he's a system striker or a system wide forward in a, in a, in a sporting Kansas City setup. Uh, he's not a lead striker in whatever Philadelphia is going to roll out, even if it is something similar in terms of system. They, they've... Loaned, it appears, Carlos Valdez to Nacional of Uruguay, which is – I'm waiting for the official announcement on whether it's going to be a loan or a sale, but it sounds like it's going to be a loan. Um, and Kevin Cade reported this morning uh, that the union are close to a deal to sign on at least a one-year loan, maybe with an option to buy. Uh, Portuguese-Canadian six foot five center back Stephen Vitoria, which will boost the back line and keep Morisa doing the midfield, which will boost their midfield as well. So the big question yeah. now is, do they, can they go out and find a top striker? And they've been looking for that for a long time. You could argue almost the team's entire history, and they haven't done it yet. Yep. Uh, John Tannenwald from Philly.com chiming in on Klinsman and the Union. Appreciate that. When I say the Union, this is going to get confusing. I may have to limit the Philadelphia. I, I hate to do this. I may have to limit the Philadelphia talk during the CBA negotiations, John. <laughs> Let's hope the CBA talks aren't going on for that much longer so that we can fix this and have a season. Tre- Trevor's suggesting we just call them the dupes for the time being. So the, the Philadelphia <laughs> dupes working out their uh, roster. John, thanks for the time. Have a good You're weekend, welcome. man. All right, there you Me go. Too. Hey, go John, go read Jonathan Tannenwald's Games to Watch column over at philly.com. All right, if anybody wants to jump in, I will open, I'll keep them open for one more minute, 347 756 6276. And I have to, the reason I'm doing this is because I have to at least address this tweet and you can chime in while I'm doing so. JC on Twitter, I don't claim to get what Klinsman is up to all the time, but I think that some fans and media are overreacting to this. 
is there another coach in, in, in American soccer history who could go nine games without a win and not face this kind of scrutiny? Is, is there another coach in American soccer history who could have the consistent second-half failures of Jurgen Klinsmann's team, even in friendlies? Because we overstate the importance of friendlies as a fan base. We respond to every game like it matters, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I think some of us, some of the people in the media, certainly some fans, have to pull everybody back a little bit sometimes, but I get why you are, you're upset. You want to see progress. Is there another coach who would get the leash that Jurgen Klinsmann's getting right now? I don't think so. Six three one, you're on the air. Hey, uh, Jason, it's Bill from Brooklyn. How you doing? What's going on, Bill? What's on your mind? Hey, it's been a long time since I call in. I got a, uh, I got a job that keeps you from listening live. So I love to be your podcast and coming you, up uh, fast. John, and you, Bill, 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 you got to quit, man. I'm sorry. That's just the it's, <laughs> bottom line. You got to quit. Dave, all I can work for you. Be the, uh, be a dream. <laughs> so, I've been, uh, been thinking. I had a, I had a, had a ridiculous thought the other night. I wanted to share it with you. All right. Uh, so I was looking at the uh, the teams in the, um, the the PDL, the USL PDL, and I noticed that one of them is uh, the BYU Cougars. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking to myself, well, you know, we can all uh, say that the NCAA, as we know it, is uh, you know going to fall apart at a certain point, and that uh, you know uh, there will be a professional esque element to it. And also, college soccer is in a bit of a bit of a, trans- a transitional stage. So what would happen if a big time soccer program, uh, college program, would say, hey, rather than try to uh, you know, keep doing the NCAA thing with the short season, what if we actually did what BYU did and we actually get a team in one of these developmental leagues, either you know, the PDL or the NPSL, or even be crazy enough to say, rather than pay scholarships, let's actually just pay players and put them in the USL Pro if they're good enough to do it. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know how that would work. Um, you know, obviously, you can't have. You know, if the NCAA is around, that's you know, colleges aren't going to do that. You're essentially, you know, I I don't know. I I'd have to think about it, Bill. It's a little much for a Friday. I've actually heard it pitched before that 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 pro teams should could conceivably partner with colleges. Um, to create sort of an academy within the college system, but I don't know how that would work. And again, I think it's, it's a lot of moving parts. It's a lot of rules to follow, both in terms of of the NCAA and how professional players are treated, and how development works in MLS. I, I don't know. It, it. I think on the face of it, it sounds okay, but I, I'd have to know how the mechanics of it would work in order to be a to give you any opinion on it. Like I said, it was a crazy idea, so I figured uh, that if there was any place to pitch such an idea, it would be uh, beyond soccer. That's morning, a, and, so. and, and we'll put it out there, and people can respond certainly on Twitter, at Soccer Morning, and give us their thoughts. It's, it is an idea. It's something to consider over the weekend. Do you, they, I'm giving you homework, essentially, over the weekend. Go, go think about Bill's proposal. Or don't, and watch <laughs> soccer all, and just veg out. Bill, I appreciate the call, man. Thank you. Uh, Take care, man. Have a good weekend. There you go. That's, uh, that's going to do it for this Week of Soccer Morning here on Backheel.com. I'm going to remind you to go to Backheel.com slash store and buy one of these lovely things. It's a, I'm holding up my mug right now for you podcast listeners. It's a Soccer Morning mug. It's awesome. You should get one. Also go to 3NLFC.com to buy your Soccer Morning t-shirt. That directly helps the show. All of this directly helps the show. So just so you know, we're working some things out. It looks like it's going to be a good year for us, but we need your help. Soccer morning uh, t-shirts, soccer morning mugs. There's other stuff at backhill.com that's not soccer morning related directly, but is very cool. So check that out. And uh, all right. Thanks to Charlie Bohm. Thanks to Adam Jardy. Thanks to all of you that called in. Thanks to all of you that tweeted. Spread the word about the show and uh, enjoy your soccer weekend. And I'll talk to you on Monday. Bye.